1: Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about
0: this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Left hand drive to gorge, Cross court pass Mac, Wide open. Right corner three for the tie. You bet. Tied at 73. They climbed all the way back from 18 down. You're Locked On Jazz. Your daily podcast on the Utah Jazz. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Locked On Jazz for the 14th of September. Just flat out giddy about the upcoming season. Plus we'll do the crossover edition with the Dallas Mavericks, Locked On Mavericks host on Crossover Week on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked On Jazz. Pow! Hey, how are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA insider. Super glad to have you with us. Thanks so much. Very nice of you to tune in to the program. Uh, we have a bunch of cool stuff going on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's Crossover Week on the NBA as we heat up going back daily, and what that means is that we have uh, all sorts of people that are uh, doing shows, kind of you know, joint shows like we'll do later on this. We'll have the Dallas Maverick. Uh, host on the show a little bit later today uh, on this program for you, or when, whenever you're actually listening to it. So that's um, that's what you have coming up on the program uh, for you today. So thanks very much for tuning in. Anybody who's left five stars, I've, I've looked at the reviews recently. I was doing some stuff. It just kind of blows my mind how many of you have been nice enough to leave five stars and leave a comment. I can't thank you enough uh, for doing that. It really, it's just great. you know. So there, thanks. How's that? Really, pretty simple. All right, hope you're having a good day. Let's do what we, what we regularly do, which is called our Pins Across the World to open up the show. It's kind of my favorite part of the show, sharing who you are inside this community that we have of jazz fans, what your story is of how you became a jazz fan, and where you are listening. You can email me at dlock09 at gmail.com. And today's uh, comes from Shay Rifflin. Uh, Hi, David. I'm in Spring Creek, Nevada. I guess my Jazz obsession started when I was about 10. My family didn't watch too much sports, but one evening we all sat down to watch a game, Jazz and the Rockets. It was all tied up, two seconds left. My sister asked, so it's going into overtime. My brother insisted that two seconds was plenty of time. We watched Stockton get the pass, put up a three-pointer, and we literally all jumped when the shot went in. I think you can guess what game I'm talking about. John Stockton sends the Utah Jazz to the NBA Finals. Uh, We have all the stories... Uh, I think that most uh, – excuse me, I misread that. We, have, we all have those stories, and I think that's what I love most about sports. I studied social history in college, discovered that there's a real beauty to be found in the lives of ordinary people as the search for meaning is vast. And for some reason uh, that we may never fully understand, many of us find meaning in sports. When asked why he was a boxer, uh, one said, I can't be a poet, I can't tell stories. I think I'd have to disagree. I say he was a very good storyteller as are many of the athletes. Perhaps it's the story that drives the passion of sports, keeps us coming back for more. Either way, it's been a pleasure to see this Utah Jazz saga unfold. Kind of an interesting perspective there. That was kind of fun. Appreciate it uh, from Shay, And that is our pin across the world. You can send it to me at dlock09 at gmail.com That's dlock at gmail.com. All right, let's get to our tip-off story of the day. I'm just kind of giddy, just being in the gym and seeing these guys and watching them play and just realizing who they are. George Hill was in the gym yesterday. George Hill! George Hill's like an Above average point guard in the NBA. He's thirty years old. He knows how to play. He's been through it. He understands the value of wins and losses. Uh, my favorite part of the day with George Hill is, uh, and I don't want to get into too many specifics of the conversation, but I was I was talking with him. Uh, or you know more actually more than I was talking to him he he was talking to us there were about four of us that were sitting there Ron Boone and myself and and some others and so we were talking and and he was referring to stuff that took place last year with the Jazz and he was referring to all of them as we and I thought that was so cool it's it's subtle it's small it it, it might not seem like that big a deal but I thought that was so cool that he was sitting there. Referring to last season and referring to we and things we need to do better. It was a, it was a comment in which he very, very easily, uh, very easily, could have said, them. They, 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 they need to improve on this. Or I'm going to come in and I'm going to change the way we're doing this and make them improve at this. And I thought it was just such a, a, a telling comment that he referred to it in the manner of we. Um, and so that excited, that excites me about him. Uh, there was another sequence where they were just kind of doing their open gym thing and George Hill and Dante Exam were, were battling. And then at the end of it, Dante, George Hill brings Dante aside and kind of says, "Hey, by the way," and I couldn't hear their conversation. I would have loved, I would have loved to know exactly what that conversation was, uh, but I, I, did not get to find out. But they, it was, you know, it was just very clearly the veteran taking Dante and saying, "Hey, by the way, on this you could do that, or remember, be aware of this, or these things," and it just showed that what the value of George. Hill, Joe Johnson, and Boris Diaw is going to be. I think I shared with you earlier this week that when talking with some of the coaches, there's, you know, conversations you're having with Boris Diaw that you just simply couldn't have uh, with other players that we've ever had. Uh, Even yesterday, I sat down with Joe Johnson for an extended period of time uh, for some production pieces for this year and uh, get to know, and I'll publish them probably to Joe next week kind of so that you get to know him a little bit better in that sense, uh, and, you know, I realize that so many of my interview questions and things I talk to these guys about have to do, basically, you know, have all been to 25-, 26-year-olds. Here was the first time I was sitting down with a 35-year-old and asking about experiences and things like that, and, you know, it was funny. Quincy Ford's favorite player, he's clearly in awe of Kevin Durant. Like, he just think, he grew up through high school and college, and thought Kevin Durant's the greatest thing ever. That's uh, his high school and college career. And he was a huge Oklahoma City Thunder fan. That was his favorite team. And then here's Joe Johnson, whose favorite player was Penny Hardaway, who he ended up, by the way, you know, playing with in Phoenix, uh, and now is pretty good friends with, uh, and was contemporary to. So it, it just is, you know, his... It was just an eye-opener to see that difference. It's very exciting. Uh, I mean, Joe Johnson gets a corner three. It's like a layup right now. I mean, the dude just buries that shot. Like, it just looks so easy uh, for him. And then on the point guard thing, I, you know... I'm just giddy. I'm just giddy, excited. I may be overly, and you know, Quinn would probably hear this and be like, "Dude, we got a long way to go. We've never won a game." You know, this, you know, mellow out. Like, I got it. There's still. This is not a done deal. But I start to look at some things that gets get me just fired up. You know, you look back at last year and you, you ask yourself, like, okay, and this is not necessarily how basketball works, but it's not that far off. Frankly, I know we like to talk about it being a team game, but some of this has some value. So, like, our point guard against their point guard, we were at a disadvantage every night. So our Rodney Hood shooting guard against their shooting guard. Okay, well, that, that was probably about half and half uh, the nights we had an edge. Uh, our pow, our small forward against their small forward, we had an edge most nights. Our power forward and favors versus those, we had a night, an edge most nights. Our center and their center, we probably were half and half. And then you go to our backup point guard, and we were always at a disadvantage. And you go to our backup shooting guard last year, and the minute Alec went out, and even sometimes with Alec, uh, Really, when Alec went out, we were at a disadvantage uh, on almost every night. And then you go to our backup small forward, and, you know, we're probably on the lower end there. And our backup power forward, it's probably middle of the pack, and our backup center, uh, depending on how you look at it, was either Withy or, you know, and Withy is, it was New Orleans, let him go. Um, you know, you just, in that, now, it just, I look at it, and it just looks totally different to me in in every way, shape, or form. Uh, you know, you suddenly look at our point guard position. I I think we're going to be on the front end. We're probably going to be average at the starter at as the starter. And then you go to the next spot and our backup point guard might be the best in the NBA. Like if Sean Livingston's the best backup point guard in the NBA, whoever's, you know, George Hill and Dante Exum are going to get minutes this year against backup point guards. Like, like, I'm not saying like, don't, I want to make sure. I don't know if this is like makes sense. Like what I'm trying to. I'm not saying like that they're like that George Hill's going to be the backup. That wasn't the comment there. He's going to get minutes against backup point guards. I mean, hopefully there's going to be a night where Dante's Dante's shooting or playing really well, and and so he gets those minutes. I mean, that's just a simple natural thing that happens and suddenly George Hill's going up against a backup well George Hill's going to win that battle every time and you know I think Rodney's going to be on the now probably move from 15 to 12 since shooting guards and Gordon's in the top five or six in small forwards in the league and Derek is the same place and Rudy's we're all good there but now all of a sudden okay well if our third wing's Joe Johnson I think Joe Johnson's gonna be better than most third wings and if our fourth wing's Alec I think Alec's gonna be better than most fourth wings and frankly Joe Ingles gets, you know, is okay in that spot as well. And then our, you know, Trey Lyles is going to be a big question. That's why I want to ask some people, like, if we're going to be great, what happens? And their comments, Trey Lyles. Well, if Trey Lyles can be, you know, suddenly mini Ryan Anderson as your third big, well, then all of a sudden you're above average in that position too. And when you're suddenly above average in all nine or ten rotation spots, I mean, that's, you just became really, really good. I mean, think about that. I just ran through that. We're, we there's a legitimate argument. We're above average in every single one of the ten rotation spots. Last year, where when were we? Were we above average in what four? Average or above average in four? Now we're average or above average in all ten. It's 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 a tremendous tremendous change. Just. I'm just giddy about it. Just giddy watching him on the floor. Joe Johnson gets an open look. It's just silly. Uh, just absolutely silly. And George Hill gets a, uh, George When what did I say? Either one of those guys gets an open look. It's, it's silly. I, I, I just couldn't be more fired up. Couldn't be more fired up. Joe Johnson, it's 45% of his right corner threes. He's going to get them all day. I, I have. We're going to shoot. We could shoot a, just a tremendous amount of threes. Could just be fabulous. All right. So that's our tip-off story of The SI Duck is doing the top hundred, uh, and they they we were top fifty the other day. We shared with you that George Hill came in at fifty-six, and Rodney was in the eighties. So they're launching. I think about right now they're putting out ten new ones a day. So fifty was C.J. McCollum. So we have. Still left for us, Rudy, Derek, and Gordon. And let's see who they put up. Eric Bledsoe they have at 49. They have our guys better than them. Giannis is at 48, out of Ducumbo. Danilo Gallinari at 47. DeMar DeRozan at 46. This is a lot of love for Rudy. Isaiah Thomas at 45. Andre Iguodala at 44, Nicholas Batum at 43, Serge Ibaka at 42, Pau Gasol at 41, favors ahead of Gasol. Stephen Adams at 40, Gobert better than Adams, favors better than Adams. Chris Middleton At 39. Brooke Lopez at 38. Chris Bosh at 37. Kind of a funky one to rank. He's better than all the players we have left. Uh, But who knows. Kemba Walker at 36. So the Jazz could have three players in the top 35. Five players in the top 85. Hassan Whiteside comes in at 35. They have Gobert ahead of Whiteside. Dwight Howard at 34. And Rudy Gobert at 33. So Gobert, they have ranked higher than Dwight Howard. They have him ranked higher than Hassan Whiteside. They have him ranked, who's, Brooke Lopez. A lot of Steven Adams. A lot of center. Paul Gasol. A lot of centers in here. A lot of love for Rudy there. At 33, tomorrow I'll give you more of kind of what they say about him and, and the rest. I wanted to kind of share my giddiness today. 32, Dwayne Wade. 31, Dirk Nowitzki. So they have the Jazz with two of the top 30 players in the NBA. One of the top three in the top 40, four in the top 60, five in the top 80, and Joe Johnson. Giddy, I tell you, giddy. By the way, Jazz season tickets, that wasn't the point of that segment, but this is time to tell you that, Jazz season tickets for this year are available. The Jazz are going to announce the uh, arena renovations coming up here in a little bit. And one of the big things you're going to hear about the arena renovations is that the Upper Bowl is going to go through a dramatic change and just be remarkable. And that's not for this year, but you can get your Upper Bowl season tickets for this year starting at $6. $6. Uh, for 44 games, lower bowl seats start at $42 per game. Eight days, seven night stay in Mexico as well. Uh... You get the best seat locations, exclusive events. It's all available to you. Call 801-355-DUNK. That's 801-355-DUNK for more details. Partial season tickets are also available. You can get those for 22 games or 11 games. This is going to be a fabulous, fabulous year. That advertising spot right there is available for your company. If you'd like to advertise on Locked on Jazz and you want men between the ages of 18 and 44, we go up to 54 too, 98% men, uh, listeners, core audience for you uh podcast listeners engage with sponsors better research shows than any of the others um so a lot of really cool uh opportunities for you email me at dlock09 at gmail.com and be a part of locked on jazz as the season uh begins all right let's do our crossover edition of the day I'm David Locke, host of Locked on Jazz.
1: And I'm Mike Marshall, host of Locked on Mavericks.
0: I'm not sure as the Jazz and Mavericks get ready for the season if it's too simplistic to say one is clinging for their lives of playoffs and the other is trying to finally make their way into the playoffs and become like the next generation of Mavericks. But it does feel that way a little bit, that our two teams as we head into this training camp are in going in, in different directions. I just don't know if either of us understand where that that arc is crossing or, or who ends up on each side of it.
1: They're two trains that are going completely different directions, and for once, this season, I think they're going to – they're almost at the same train train stop, somewhere between 8, 9, 10. I mean, you would like to think, I'm sure, that uh, the Jazz could crack maybe top seven or something like that, but they've yet to be uh, prove that they can do that. The Mavericks are that annoying older brother that just won't go away, that uh, are just clinging on to the final years of Dirk Nowitzki, and uh, that's kind of what a Mavericks fan is resigned to now. We know we're not going to compete. We know the roster is going to turn over 40% of the starting lineup every single season, and uh, we haven't developed young talent like Utah has. We've done it a completely different way, and this is what a roster looks like when you neglect the draft. You... uh neglect player development for uh, five to ten years at a time, and you're just at the mercy of A-level or sometimes B-level free agents to, it, it, uh, to pick your outpost. It's
0: interesting. La- you, you talk about those two trains. Last year, I think most Jazz fans thought they were going to be able to get by the Mavericks, and there was this moment mm-hmm. There was this moment in time, and anybody who listened to Locked On Jazz knew it, where I sat there and was like, wait a second. Like, we just are not going to – you just don't want to be in a situation where – you got to win a game against Dirk, right? Like, it's still yeah. – like it's still he still has that element to him of, wait a sec, if we're down to five games left in the season, i got a feeling he's going to be able to go take three of them if he needs to. So if the two trains are at a similar spot at the end of the year, I still think I am scared of Dirk, though I'm not sure how much is left in that tank.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, for the longest time, uh, Rick Carlisle and uh, Dirk, that combination, that formula meant – Forty wins and then you see what you can pile on top of the cake how many layers can you get on this cake and you know one year obviously was uh the most spectacular year in dallas sports history um winning a championship but does how long does that formula hold up you mentioned the end of the year if dirk has to have them uh can he go get them and last year yeah that was the case they won seven of their final 10 games and finished as the sixth seed which was the last two years honestly They've overachieved for what I thought they would be. And Utah's underachieved a little bit, specifically last year. I thought they'd be above, above 500. I am extremely jealous of their team building. Uh, I'm not jealous of them not having one superstar that they can just kind of prop their feet up and uh, just point at that every time uh, Donnie Nelson gets questioned <laughs> over the last you know, 10 to 15 years.
0: By the way, Dirk just deserves so much credit. The month of March... Dirk went back to scoring 22 points a game, six rebounds and two assists. He he fell off the table a little bit as April hit in those final games. Still found a way to win them, but how he became a 20-point a game scorer again for a whole month, I'll, I'll just always relish. Uh, I, I, you know, we just said goodbye to Tim. We got to say goodbye to that 13-time All-Star. It's it's just gonna be it's sadness because there's just these are icons of the game. We're just awesome to watch. I will tell you it, being in Dallas last year reminded me of when we were when we jazz fans were at the end of the John and Carl run and a lot of that was, you know, going to the finals, but then there was that little stretch afterwards in which you just kind of knew it was over and at any moment it could end. Mm-hmm. And that's how it feels to me right now when you're in Dallas and you're in American Airlines uh, arena or center, whichever it is, uh, every time Dirk makes an awesome play, there's this kind of roar through the crowd of like, I got to see it one more time. And I think it's there's an awesomeness to, to that and I really appreciate the Dallas fans seemingly understanding of that right now.
1: Yeah, no, there's nothing like it. Um, a guy that is connected with a fan base so tightly and has been so good to one franchise and so loyal, honestly. Like he's he's been better to the Dallas Mavericks than the Dallas Mavericks have been to him, if we're going to be honest. And it feels like, like you always hear about these guys that start, you know, moving like they're running in quicksand and uh, they hit that hard wall and the season, you know, they have a wasted season that they probably should have hung it up prior to. I mean, I don't know if Dirk's going to do that. I don't see anything in his game that says, um, you know, you're going to hit, a wall, and you're not going to be you anymore because he's still going to be able to hit a one-legged fadeaway. He's still seven foot. He's going to hang him up whenever he's done having fun. And for me, I would have stopped having fun a couple of years ago, uh, probably after the uh, the knee injury season, uh, the lockout season for him. But he still loves it. This is what he does. Like he's bred to play basketball um, and do it very well and shoot like almost nobody in the history of the NBA and it's going to be a sad day man there's no way around it's going to be a sad year and it might be year after this one obviously he signed a 2 year with a uh, early termination option which is kind of you know some cap maneuvering some cap gymnastics uh, going into this offseason if someone is worthy of 20 plus million dollar contract as you know most positions are filled in for quite a long time on this team but point guard or center if someone's Uh, worthy of a 20 plus million he can early term uh, early terminate his contract and then uh, they have money to improve and he's doing them a favor in this this is how this always works out (laughs) the last five last five years in particular since the championship he's done so much for them and they've surrounded him with just failing pieces and they've never done a very good job of surrounding him with uh, you know someone to compliment him properly I guess Jason Terry is the greatest example and that was almost you know, just kind of an accident, just a uh, reclamation project from Atlanta type guy. But, you know, they're they're, they're younger than they've ever been this season, um, I guess, since mid-2000s. And I don't know what that means for Dirk. I don't know if we start the bridge to go away. A lot of people thought that was Chandler Parsons to uh, take the reins from Dirk and be the face of the franchise going forward. And the front office wasn't comfortable with you know, whatever they saw in his uh, his MRI and his knee, or his habits, or they got crossways somehow, and they decided that wasn't a, a thing they wanted to do anymore.
0: All right, we're talking. I'm David Locke of Locked On Jazz. Mike Marshall is with us from uh, Locked On the Locked On Mavericks program. Uh, it's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Remember. Numerous other NBA teams and incredible game previews coming, or excuse me, team previews coming from Locked On Fantasy and Josh Lloyd. Check out that show. He's previewed every team or continuing to preview every team in the NBA. It's just fabulous with Josh Lloyd and Locked On Fantasy basketball, plus all of the NFL shows. Matt Williamson's Locked On NFL leading the way, and your favorite team has a Locked On as well. All right, so I'm going to give you your choices. Tell me who you want here. Okay. I have a 24 year old who last year averaged 12 points, five rebounds, and two assists. So 12, five, and two. He shot 47%, and he shot 39% from three. Mm -hmm. He was, however, never guarded. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> right or i have right. a 23 year old going to be 24 in october so let's call him, who averaged 15 points 3 rebounds 3 assists shot 42% and 36% from 3 and was usually the second option on the floor. I, I can dig in and give you deeper numbers on these two of, of what they did and what percentage of their shots were open or not, but let's just trust me that one of them's shots was way more open than the other. Which of those two players would you prefer?
1: I'd probably say the second one, because I know the first one's Harrison Barnes. And the second, um, is, the second one is the
0: second one is Rodney Hood.
1: Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Um Man, that's a good question.
0: They're like they're the same.
1: Yeah, no, they're not that different of players. Um I guess the pedigree is is slightly different. Uh Harrison Barnes being the number one player coming out of high school. Uh but no, that's that's intriguing. I haven't looked at it like that because Because one of um, them's
0: making 2 1.4 million dollars next year.
1: <laughs> Don't rub it in. Please don't and rub the it other in just signed
0: a well, max deal under the new economics.
1: Yeah. Good God. That hurts. Whenever you put it that way. Um, I guess the upside I don't even know, man. Like the spin they put on um, the spin they put on signing Chandler Parsons to the deal they did originally is you can just run back the exact same audio clips they did then and use them now and just uh, edit out the name Chandler Parsons and put in the name uh, Harrison Barnes, and they're not going to be that different. It's just rolling the dice once again on a younger guy. And, man, Utah is stacked with youth. I can't stand it to look at y'all's roster, honestly, because I see all the dudes that uh, that we had e- either a chance to draft, a, uh, a chance to retain, you know, a la Jay Crowder, um, and just didn't have any interest in the player development side of it. And I don't know if that's a tough pill to swallow for Rick Carlisle to try and figure out the quirks of, you know, guys that are under 25 and he just doesn't have time for them. But it's been to the detriment of of this team overall, in my, in my opinion, honestly. I love Rick Carlisle. I think there's not very many uh, coaches in the league that are better at what they do than him. It's just I can't take watching young talents either walk out the door or just being passed over uh, for an older veteran guy that uh, is going to take up more of your cap. And, I mean, the NFL figured this out a couple years ago of rookie contracts are the most valuable things in basketball. I don't know why the Mavericks, it's taken them, it seems like, um, you know, a dozen years to figure that out.
0: Here's an interesting, and a little bit of this, this is why I don't think anyone knows anything about Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes only spent 4% of his possessions last year as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Mm -hmm. Now, he was pretty good. He was in the 89th percentile in those. He only spent 8.7% of his possessions in isolation. He was not very good at those. He shot 42.6%. He was in the 53rd percentile. That's what, to me, is so interesting is because... He just hasn't done. And when you think about Dallas, he's going to run the pick and roll. You would think he's going to be effective because he's running the pick and roll with Dirk. Or he's going. To, they've got to have some vision of how they're using him. And yet he hasn't done those things. The contrast to Rodney Hood, if that's our comparison, is that mm-hmm. Rodney Hood used the pick and roll thirty percent of his possessions last year, and isolation nine wow. percent. Hood's Hood's one of the top three isolation players in the NBA last year, and he's in the 77th percentile in pick and roll. Maybe Harrison Barnes is that good, too. We just never got the chance to see it. I, that's what I think is so bizarre. Or, um, And I actually think that Donnie Nelson and Rick Carlisle are so well prepared all the time that they usually know something. I'm so curious to see what they know on this.
1: Yeah, I hope, I hope that's the case. Like, if you want to spin it positive, I hope that's the case, that there's some kind of potential there that hasn't been used, obviously, for what, uh, you know, scenario he was in with Golden State. But it almost feels like to me, knowing this Mavericks franchise as closely as I do, that you, you bought a, you bought a new car and then it came without cup holders and you're just kind of talking yourself into, hey, I don't need cup holders. Who needs cup holders? Those are silly. But, I mean, with Chandler Parsons going out the door, for all the warts he has and things that people would nitpick and, uh, you know, people would throw the contract around and say he's never going to be an all-star player. Okay, whatever. That's fine. He was a really good pick-and-roll player and a really good secondary ball handler. And so was Raymond Felton at times last year. So there are, good God, I don't know what, 20 possessions a game now up for grabs in a uh, pick-and-roll situation as a secondary ball handler that are going to be out there. And Harrison Barnes hasn't done it. That doesn't mean he can't do it. Uh, That means we haven't seen it. And I like that, you know, he's high in, you know, 89th percentile in pick and roll uh, ball handler, but it seems like there's a very drastic learning curve for him this offseason.
0: Let's go big picture here for a second, because I think this is where the West gets fascinating this year. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it involves everyone we're talking about, truly. So, I feel like there's three teams, young teams in the West, and and frankly, there could be four if Demarcus Cousins gets off the crazy train. Um, but, that's, <laughs> but that seems like that seems like an awful lot to ask. Um, in Utah, in Minnesota, in mm-hmm. Denver, and maybe in Sacramento, that really are are pushing. New Orleans has just got you know so many things that have with the Drew Holiday tragedy that's taking place with his wife right now, or hopefully not tragedy, just hopefully bumping the road. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, And then we have Dallas and Memphis. And I don't know where San Antonio fits. I think with Kawhi and LaMarcus, they stay away from it. And the Clippers, I think, just have still enough in their tank. But they certainly are getting a good deal older with less and less of a bench every year. The, the question to me is how much do we get a paradigm shift in the West? How many of these teams leapfrog the old vets that are hanging on? See, I, I think Memphis is going to be terrible. I, mm-hmm. I I don't think they're going to be able to score. And then when you couple the fact that they're not going to be able to score with the fact that you're asking 235 35-year-olds to defend, I'm not sure I even think they're going to be able to defend that well.
1: Yeah, I don't love – uh, what the Grizzlies did necessarily after seeing Chandler Parsons for two years here uh, and their whole formula to begin with. And then you look at OKC is going to have a substantial drop. Um, you know, I like what Denver and Minnesota are doing, but it's been the same thing with them and New Orleans over the last, you know, three years of, okay, that's fun. You're building your, your team building part of your franchise is clearly on an uptick does that even mean 35 wins? Like, let's get there first. Um, same with Sacramento. Like, I would love it if one of these teams proves that you can uh, you can rebuild pretty quickly um, with some high draft picks and bounce in there. But I think that 6-7-8 is going to be Memphis, Utah, Dallas in some order. And I think Houston is slightly better than that. And I think Portland – Uh, if they're lucky, I hated their off season, but if they're lucky, they can hold on to, I don't know, maybe the fifth seed. And then, you know, Golden State and San Antonio are clearly, I feel a cut above uh, the rest of that gaggle. And then the Clippers are kind of on their, their own Island to me as well. But I heard Kevin Felton say on, on your, uh, your program, I guess last week, 13th in the West. And that's, that's, that's a little insane to me. And that sounds like what people were predicting last, uh, last off season, Prior, or last uh, training camp, that uh, you know, Mavericks would be worst in the West. And I guess that was some kind of tanking um, incentive there. But you have to know, if you ask any Maverick fan, that we're just writing out Dirk's final years and they're going to do whatever they can to be competitive for him. So they're never going to tank until he's sitting in the uh, front office.
0: It's interesting. It's really going to be interesting on how it all plays uh, and and there's and it's in one sense there's the, the most talked about storyline will be golden State on the other mm-hmm. sense the more interesting storylines are exactly what we just talked about who are going to flip flop how's San Antonio's culture without duncan what is the Oklahoma City without Westbrook um, you know I don't love what Portland did in the off season either and I'm not convinced uh i'm not convinced and this is unfair cuz they did earn everything they got last year i'm just not convinced they're as good as everyone thinks they are um yeah you know their point differential last year was point 8 which is barely you know barely a 42 win, you know it's a 42 43 win team i'm not i know they they made the run they got the the first round playoff win with everything that took place and and i i don't know i just Maybe I'm unfair. I just feel like I think that, that, that their, their story's gotten a little overblown by their win over the Clippers last year in the playoffs when the Clippers you know, clearly were no longer that team.
1: Yeah, I, I hated the offseason. Their, their road record is that of a non-playoff team uh, off of last year. You mentioned the differential. I just don't know where they go. Like, how do you get better? Like, if it's not just natural progression of players um, year to year, I mean, I really like Al Camino, but he's limited. And obviously McCollum and uh, Dane Lillard are special players, but I don't think they can top – I mean, 44 wins isn't that great in a normal Western Conference year. I mean, the year before last, I think it took, what, 49 or 50 for the Mavericks to barely get in. So 44, I don't see that as being a, uh, a sustainable fifth seed win total. I think Oklahoma City is exceptionally interesting to me. Um, just for the obvious reasons that everybody wants to see. And then I'd love it if Utah was good. I really like what they've done. I really like mo- most of their dudes. Most of their players are dudes like um, – I've been doing a lot of NFL lately, and I keep on watching like the Jaguars because they drafted all the guys that I wanted the Cowboys to pick. Like Utah's the same way. Like I wish we had like four of those dudes. They keep on like taking the guys that I would really love to build a team around. And then the rest of them, man, I think there's a clear line between that uh, Dallas-Memphis-Utah-Portland-Houston group and those teams that are still too young um, in Sacramento, Denver, New Orleans, Minnesota, Phoenix, and L.A. But that that five through nine is going to be exceptionally interesting because those are pretty good teams and every single game is going to matter.
0: Yeah, I think Minnesota gets in there. I think Carl Anthony Towns. You think so? Yeah, I think Carl wow, okay. I think Carl Anthony Towns is historically great.
1: Like, yeah. I, I think, middle, like I think he
0: wins the MVP in 5 years, maybe less.
1: Nice. Okay. Um
0: that's, I mean I just
1: that's like when the
0: draft like 2 years ago when that draft was going on if if you had been listening to me, I was like beside myself. I was like, "Whoa! Like what are people talking about? This is not like This is not a discussion like one of these is going to be in one of these players is going to be in the Hall of Fame like he's he's an MVP. And at the time, I said that Carl Anthony Towns will be the MVP when we get board voting for Anthony Davis. I actually now think that Anthony Davis will be the MVP when we get board voting for Carl Anthony Towns.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that would make a lot of sense. And then, like, I guess to spin it back to the Mavericks, (laughs) we're just kind of sitting over there. Like just uh, biding our time um, until it can be an acceptable thing, uh, an acceptable pill to swallow, to rebuild. Because that's what it's going to take. And I think people have wanted that to happen for a really long time. Um, and the moment you mention you can't do that to Dirk, they say, yeah, okay, I get it. But it doesn't keep you from, I don't know, maybe once every two to three months getting frustrated with the situation. Um, a lot of people like thought they should have rebuilt in 2012, um, and maybe you know a rebuild and bounce back might find them in the exact position they're in at this moment. For me, it was uh, it, w- it was 2012 whenever Dirk shredded his knee um, doing his little world tour where they played in Germany, um, and I think I think his knee was messed up whenever they played there. He just didn't tell anybody, and then they came back home and he magically had a little tear in his knee and uh, was going to miss a couple months. That was the year where they fought back to make it to five hundred. And if you remember, remember them having the uh, the five hundred beards. There was nothing to play for that season. Like that made no sense. And you getting to five hundred was the difference between Shane Larkin and CJ McCollum or Giannis.
0: Yeah, or you could have drafted like that was, or or you could have drafted Trey Burke or Michael Carter
1: Williams. <laughs> that's true. They wanted Michael Carter Williams. Right. That's who they really wanted. They wanted a point guard. They wanted Michael Carter-Williams, and he went off the table. So they dropped back, um, talking themselves into saving a little bit of money for a draft pick because they were in the hunt for Dwight Howard that offseason and dropping back saying that, oh, all these picks are the same. Let's go get Shane Larkin. When in reality, if you didn't try to get back to five hundred that season, you could have had C.J. McCollum. And that, that hurts. And I keep saying that to myself. And, yeah, you're right. Trey Burke or Michael Carter, MCW, could have happened just as well. But you put yourself in the best positions, and oftentimes they have it because they're stubborn about it.
0: I will leave you on this note. Rudy Gobert was the 27th pick of that draft.
1: <laughs> okay. There you go. Could have had him as well. I'm David Locke yeah.
0: of Locked On Jazz. He's Mike Marshall of Locked On Mavericks. Check them all out on the Locked On Podcast Network.
1: At participating Napa Auto Parts stores, while supplies last. Minimum three items. Exclusions apply. Offer ends 10:31:17.